0: Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina.
1: Hi, welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin, and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take back control of your life, and feel good in your body, all without dieting, spending hours in the gym, or counting a single macro. Today, we're going to talk about my 10 expert approved tips to battle binge eating. But first, I just want to do a shout out to all the listeners. The The show has been going on for about three months and we are already in 21 countries. So just want to say hi to listeners in the United States, the UK, Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, Denmark, Country of Georgia, Germany, Ireland, Italy, Japan, Korea, Latvia, Mauritius, Netherlands, New Zealand, the Philippines, Russia, Sweden, and Switzerland. Welcome, welcome. I am so glad that you are here. Okay, so let's get to it. The 10 approved tips to battle binge eating. So, when people want to stop binge eating, many of them Do the absolute wrong thing. They focus on willpower. Yet binge eating disorder is not about willpower, it's not about control, it's not about addiction, it's not even about food. There are two main reasons for binge eating. One is deprivation or the anticipation of deprivation of our favorite foods, And the second involves using food to cope with difficult thoughts and emotions and and conflicts. To stop binge eating, it's important to eliminate deprivation and to understand that binge eating episodes are triggered often by emotional distress, some kind of feeling of sadness, anxiety, boredom, loneliness, what have you. Food becomes a way of coping with these feelings. And it gives you, yes, it gives you temporary comfort and distraction. That is why I call it a frenemy. Binging is a friend. It it helps you in some way. It helps you cope. It helps you soothe. It helps you escape. It helps you go numb. It does so much for you. It fills a void. It distracts you. All the things it does to help you. But of course, it is an enemy because it also hurts you. It hurts your body. It hurts your self esteem. After a binge, we feel guilt, we feel shame, we feel self disgust. Um, And so it, it, of course, it is a, a temporary coping mechanism, a negative coping strategy. And remember, these emotions that lead to binge eating can be unconscious, they can be hidden from our awareness. But when we delve deep into ourselves, when we are able to understand the emotions and unresolved issues that drive binge eating, that are the roots to binge eating, we can stop for good. That is why there is a cure. That's why uh, I created the binge cure method. It's not the binge recovery method. It's the binge cure method because you really can Stop binge eating forever, for life, for good. But understanding these internal roots, these, these triggers to binge eating, because we think often we're triggered by food. Oh no, we're triggered by something else. Uh, by understanding these, these triggers, we can create lasting change by, by creating new ways of responding to ourselves and responding to those triggers. So here are 10 tips to stop binge eating for good. First tip, stop dieting. Stop it now. Stop, stop. Okay. Maybe you maybe you always feel like you've been on a diet and I know easier said than done. Maybe maybe you've been dieting your whole life. Maybe you're constantly worrying about what you're eating, when you're eating, how much you're eating. If the answer is yes to any of those, it is time to face a difficult truth. Dieting is counterproductive to beating binge eating. In fact, it actually can cause binge eating. It is something that leads to binge eating. That's why there's the diet binge cycle, right? Now, why is that? I I alluded a moment ago to deprivation, and yes, the experience of deprivation and the anticipation of deprivation, which is, oh, I'm going to go on a diet tomorrow and I'm not going to be able to eat anything I like. That's the anticipation of deprivation. Or I'm on a diet and I can't eat what I want. That is the experience of deprivation. It can be an incredible and powerful trigger for binging. If we're constantly telling ourselves that we can't have certain foods, if we have to limit our calorie intake excessively also, we automatically set ourselves up for failure. Our minds rebel against the idea of restriction, and this leads to overeating or worse, binge eating. Am I suggesting you, you stop dieting and just indulge in unhealthy eating and forget about maintaining a healthy weight or a healthy attitude towards food? absolutely not that is not what i'm saying the key here is moderation not elimination of course it's really hard to be moderate when you're when when you have a coping strategy of using food to cope but the good news is when you when you really find new ways of coping it's a lot easier to make those healthy choices so again deprivation It's basic human psychology. The moment we know we're we're not supposed to have something, we want it more. Can you relate? I'm guessing you can. The healthy approach is to stop dieting and give yourself permission, again, easier said than done, give yourself permission to eat your so-called forbidden foods. And permission does not mean permission to binge. It means permission to partake, to have some, to eat a portion of them. Because when you do that, you give yourself the gift of choice. You can choose if you want something and if you have it, how much of it you want. Research has shown that taking away deprivation can be an effective strategy in helping people to stop binge eating. If you've been listening to the show, you may have heard me talk about the woman who came to me to ask me to help her stop having vanilla milkshakes every day after work. She just... Every day she told herself she was not going to have a vanilla milkshake and every day she would go and get a vanilla milkshake and then she would hate herself. She felt so bad. It was vanilla milkshakes every single day. She felt like she was addicted to vanilla milkshakes and she could not stop. So she came to me, please help me, Dr. Nina, help me stop eating vanilla milkshakes. What did I tell her to do? I told her that every day after work, I wanted her to go and get a vanilla milkshake. Now, naturally, she looked at me as if I had possibly lost my mind. <laughs> but I said, "I know, I know. It sounds crazy, but just do it. Just trust, trust me. I, there's a method behind my madness, right? Just do it. Like you trying to not have them has not helped you. So, how about do it? Do it my way. Every day, I want you to have it." Well, about the fourth day, she called and said, "Oh, I'm so sick of vanilla milkshakes. Do I have to keep e- eating these things? <laughs> now what what happened? <laughs> she she when she had permission to have them, she could make the decision of whether she wanted to have them or not. When she told herself she couldn't have them, she wanted them. So it really it, it really sounds counterintuitive, but the more you give yourself permission to have those foods, the more you can set up yourself for choice. In fact, there have been studies that support this. One one study found that people who were allowed to eat a variety of foods, including their forbidden foods without any restrictions or any deprivation, experienced a significant reduction in binge eating episodes. When you can have what you want, you're not eating it out of deprivation. So when you feel deprived of of certain foods or certain food groups, you are more likely to engage in binge eating behavior. It's a way of compensating for that restriction or that deprivation. But by removing that deprivation, you are less likely to do it because now you have choice and you actually feel in control. Also, many studies have shown that that restrictive dieting and deprivation are predictors for developing binge eating disorder. So taking away deprivation is very beneficial in helping you stop binge eating, stop dieting, because guess what? When it comes to binge eating, like I said, it's not about willpower, it's not about control, it's not about addiction, it's not even about food. So the next tip after not dieting, stop dieting now, is to consider what's eating at you, which could be the most important question you ever ask yourself. If binge eating is an emotional response to something, what is the trigger? What is the, the stress, the feeling, the trauma, whatever it is that is actually triggering that response? Can you name it? What's going on with you? What's eating at you? What's weighing on you? Identifying the emotional triggers behind your binge eating can be a daunting yet necessary step. It's daunting because it—it's it, we're so good at going right to food, it's hard to figure out, well, what's going on with us? We're so quick that we, I call it bypass binging. We bypass whatever the true feeling that we have is, or the true trigger, the true conflict, the true thought that that is causing us to feel uncomfortable, and we go straight to food before we even know we're having these thoughts, before we even know we're having an emotional reaction. So we often will binge not because we are physically hungry. Sometimes it's, it's that, but that's not an emotionally driven binging. Um, It's because we're emotionally starved. We're stressed and unresolved issues, stress, anxiety, loneliness, anything that is uncomfortable can lead to binge eating to cope. So what's the solution? It's identifying your emotions, listening to what's going on with you without judgment. I often say be curious, not critical. I'm actually drinking from a mug that says curious, not critical. (laughs) Um. Be curious, not critical, because when we are curious, we are more likely to f- find answers. When, when we say to ourselves, oh, I can't believe I ate all that pizza. What's wrong with me? Now you're just in, in, in self-attack mode, which is going to make you feel terrible, which if you don't also have a reliable way of being supportive to yourself, now you're going to end up binging again to get away from your own mean voice. But if you say, okay, what was that about? why did I eat that pizza? What was going on with me? What was happening right before I decided that pizza is something I must have now? What is that? When you're curious, your mind is going to come up with answers, right? And if you can't do it by yourself, this is where professional help can be invaluable. It's very hard to have an objective view of our subjective situation we are in our lives it's very hard to be in your life and see your life at the same time you can't be in your life and then have a 40,000 foot view of your life impossible you can't be objective and that's where therapy um, can really help you identify what's eating at you, what's weighing on you, what's going on with you, what's unresolved. And then you can get the, the, the tools to cope with, with those things more effectively. So again, battling binge eating, it is not about controlling your food intake. It's about understanding why. Why are you turning to food in that moment? It's about digging deeper below the surface And navigating those uncharted emotional waters so that you can see what's really going on. And once you see it, you can deal with it. We can't fight an invisible army. We just get beaten up. And that invisible army is made up of all the thoughts and beliefs and emotions and all these ideas we have about ourselves we're not good enough, we're failures, people don't like us, we're we're you know, we're never gonna get a handle on this, good things aren't meant for you, all of these ideas that you may or may not be aware of that have a huge effect on how you respond to yourself and therefore yeah. you know your relationship with food. But when you when you can make the army visible by making the unconscious conscious by bringing what's hidden from you into the light, then you see what's going on, then you fight back. And that is what I'm here to do as a psychoanalyst, as a psychoanalyst and psychoanalytic coach. I help you figure out what is it that's hidden from you and what is it that is, you know, what is it that is affecting you? What are those roots that are creating this behavior. This is why I love the the weed and the root analogy. Uh, if you just pluck a, a weed, it will grow back, and you don't even have to be a gardener to know that. You got to get to that root. And I love this because we don't see the root, but it, but we know it's there. It's growing the weed. Similarly, uh, we don't we don't know certain ideas and thoughts and feelings are going on within us they are hidden from us in our unconscious they're in the dark just like the the root is hidden and in the dark but once we dig it out once we see it then we can then we can do something about it then we can create lasting and meaningful change now what do you do if You uh, really don't know why you're turning to food. It really feels like you're addicted to whatever that food is. It really feels like you have no willpower or no control. And for the life of you, you don't know what the heck is triggering you to want to head to the kitchen or order something from DoorDash or go to the drive-thru. Well, this is where, tip number three, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you crack the code of emotional eating. This is where we're digging out the roots. So take a moment and reflect on your most recent craving. Were you wanting something smooth and creamy like ice cream or frozen yogurt or smooth peanut butter or something like that? Uh, You know, maybe a smoothie? Or did you find yourself craving something that's more hearty and filling, like bread, burgers, cake, pasta, pizza. On the other hand, maybe it was all about that satisfying crunch. Maybe you wanted chips or pretzels or crackers or chocolate. Now, what does this all mean? So in my two decades as a psychoanalyst and a therapist, Treating people struggling with eating disorders exclusively with one exception, but her daughter had an eating disorder. So for 20 plus years, gosh, yeah, 21, um, 21 or 22, I have, I have only helped people struggling with eating disorders. And I discovered that cravings fall into, into three fundamental categories when we're upset, actually four, if we count candy creamy, filling, and crunchy. When we crave ice cream or something creamy, it is not the ice cream itself that we want. It really isn't. It's comfort. Creamy foods are associated with a need for comfort. So the key to change is to discover new ways to comfort yourself that don't involve turning to food. And I'll get to That in more detail a little bit later. The second category, those are filling foods that occupy space within us. And that, that symbolizes when we eat them, it symbolizes filling an emotional void of some kind. So instead, take a look at the holes in your life, take a look at the empty places in your life. What are you missing? Are you missing a partner, a satisfying relationship? Do you want more satisfaction in your job? Are you trying to get pregnant, but you you can't um, and you wish you had a child? What are, what are the holes in your life? And find new ways of filling those empty spaces, but also responding to the fact that there are holes in your life. Um, then there's crunchy. Crunchy textures, anything that makes us want to bite down hard, those are linked to forms of anger, like frustration, annoyance, irritation, rage. These are all forms of anger. And instead, we need to learn to express anger in a healthier way through words. Okay, now what about chocolate? What about sweets? Where does that fit into the equation? So chocolate first, some people prefer milk chocolate or chocolate with creamy centers, While other people will not touch chocolate without nuts, I'm one of those people, Um, and plain dark chocolate typically offers a bit of a satisfying crunch. So when it comes to chocolate, it falls into the creamy category um, associated with comfort or the crunchy category associated with forms of anger. Also consider, if, if you don't care about chocolate but you can't get enough Skittles, Perhaps what you need is more sweetness in your life. Not the kind that come from sugar, but the the sweetness of connection, of fulfillment, of love, of of enjoying life, having a sweet life. Maybe you need to sweeten your life. So this is what I call my food mood formula, and it is an excellent tip to help you crack the code of why you're turning to whatever food you are. If you can't figure it out, just trust the formula. It will help you. Also, just one caveat, remember that enjoying some chips with your sandwich at lunch is is not the same as having a whole family-sized bag of Doritos and and hating yourself with every bite, right? Um, The food mood formula, only applies to, to those situations where you feel that tug toward food, more of a, more of a irresistible, you know, millennial falcon heading towards the death star. You absolutely can't do anything about it feeling. Um, So if you, if you're wanting to eat food to change the way you emotionally feel, that's when you want to use the food mood formula. So the next time you get a craving, take a moment, pause, and consider whether it falls into the creamy, filling, crunchy, or sweet categories. Because by recognizing and responding to these underlying needs, emotions, wishes, conflicts, thoughts, you can break the cycle of eating to cope for good, right? That's part of the cure. So, what I just shared with you is a really valuable tool that helps you uncover your hidden why. These are the roots that are hidden from you. And this way, you can you can shift your focus from uh, what's eating at you um, f- from you can shift your focus from from what what you're eating to what's eating at you. That's what I got ahead of myself there. <laughs> Shift the focus from what you're eating to what is eating at you. Why are you eating, not what are you eating? Very, very important. Okay, next tip. Do some ghost busting. Yes, ghost busting. Why am I talking about ghost busting? What has that got to do with binge eating? Well, we often think that the past is over. We think the past is past. Why are we talking about the what happened in the past? It, it's over. It's done. It's history. Well, yes and no. Often the dynamics and relationships from our past are a- also haunting our present. So uncovering those early childhood experiences or relationships that are still affecting us, still haunting us in a way, that can be really helpful and can illuminate what these patterns are um, so that you can then resolve them and be done. So one way to identify these patterns is to reflect back on your early memories and experiences. Think back to your childhood, try to recall any significant events or situations that might've influenced your relationship with yourself, but also your relationship with food. For example, were there any uh, instances where you were restricted or deprived of certain foods? Um, for example, my parents, I don't think they listen to the show, so I think I'm safe to, to, to share this. My, my father was super controlling with food. (laughs) There's a reason I became (laughs) the poster child for eating disorders and now an eating disorder therapist. Okay. So here's what, here's what he did. He would put like breakfast cereal into, into baggies. He would put like a little amount of what he thought was the appropriate amount to eat into a baggie. And then he would, it was and often it was like granola so he'd put like a quarter cup of granola into a baggie and then he'd lock it up yes he would lock it in, he would lock it and every morning he would come and unlock it and give me and my brother a baggie of granola but my brother was a growing boy so he got two baggies anyway so what do you think that created in in me and my brother well we we felt so deprived so restricted that we couldn't get enough granola or whatever it is. He did the same for cookies. He did the same for all the things. So it just created this, this sense of, I want that thing that I can't have. Whereas if you just let us have, you know, granola for breakfast, we would have regulated our intake. So that's an extreme example, but uh, I've heard similar types of things um, happen. So Did anything like that happen to you? Were you not allowed to have things? Did your parents hide certain foods? Did they dole them out and say you can only have this many? Or or did you have any uh, emotional trauma that led to using food as a coping mechanism? When did you start using food as a coping mechanism? I know it's hard. It's hard to look into the past. But you know what's harder? What's harder is to is to struggle with binge eating and hate yourself every day when it happens and wake up vowing to be good and, and think about food all day. That's hard. And thinking that you have to do that for your life, that's really, really hard. So yes, it is hard to look inward. It is hard to look backwards. But by doing that, and seeing what's going on and, and recognizing what what are the problems? What are the triggers? How did I learn this way of relating to myself and food? Then you can deal with it. And then you can create a different way of coping. And then you are free and you really can enjoy the binge cure. So by exploring these memories as tough as they are, you gain insights into the origins of your binge eating behavior. Very, very, very important to do that. Um, So we're going to take a a short break in just a a few seconds. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about some other things. Free association, considering your psychic abilities. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) And you're going to relate to that I, I, I don't have to be psychic to know you're going to totally relate to that um, and other hidden motivations to binge eating, how to then also how to express your emotions, how to, how to turn your inner critic into a friend, all kinds of good stuff. So stay with me and I'll be back soon.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging? Ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating, uncovers hidden triggers, and gives you effective strategies for lasting change. With practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. We are talking about my 10 expert approved tips to battle binge eating. We already covered stop dieting, consider what is eating at you, how to crack the code of emotional eating, and now we're discussing how to do ghost bussing. Ghost busting bust the ghosts of the the past that are haunting your present. Um, so another way to to identify patterns that led to you learning to turn to food to cope is considering your family dynamics and the way you were brought up. Also consider the way food uh, was was dealt with in your family. did Did your parents have their own struggles? with food? Were there any specific food related rules or behaviors in your in your household? Were was food used as a reward? I, I know someone who whose mother used to say when she was sad, like she say she broke up with someone, her mother would not say, Oh, I'm so sorry, you broke you had a bad breakup. That's, you know, it's really painful. It's really hard. Let's talk it through. No, her mother would just say, oh, you're feeling bad. Well, let's go get ice cream because you know what? You can't feel bad when you eat ice cream. So she never learned to process her feelings, but she did learn that, oh, when you're sad, ice cream will make you feel better because you can't be sad when you eat ice cream. So understanding the influence of your family environment can can give you some valuable clues about how you uh, came, to, came to these ways of coping right? Okay. But the good news is when you banish the ghosts of the past, when you realize what from the past is affecting your present and process it and heal from it, then you are liberated in the present. Uh, Okay. Next tip. Free association will set you free. You want food freedom Free association is a path to get there. Free association, what is it? Well, it's based on the belief that our unconscious hidden minds hold important information and influence our thoughts, feelings, and behavior. And doing free association, which means like kind of letting your mind wander um, and express whatever is going on without judging it, remember, curious, not critical. Uh, without censoring yourself, it is a way to uncover those hidden triggers, those roots that are out of our awareness, but that absolutely contribute to our binge eating behavior. Um, for example, the and these could be very these could be very you know emotionally based, or they could just be situational. Based, situationally based. Uh, someone might associate the smell of of freshly baked cookies with feelings of comfort and security remembering when a grandparent made cookies and oh it was so cozy and wonderful. Um, and so then when they want to self-soothe you know they might they might use cookies to do so. Um so when you when you explore these associations you really get insights into the underlying true triggers and you can work co- towards developing healthier coping mechanisms. One way of doing free association is being in a therapist's office and just letting your mind wander, just see where it goes. Another way is journaling by allowing your thoughts to flow freely. You can uncover triggers that you're not consciously aware of. For for example, you might realize that certain emotions like stress, like loneliness, are always behind your binge eating episodes. Identifying these triggers is a crucial step towards developing strategies to manage and prevent binge eating and cure it. Because if it's like, oh, I don't know how to soothe myself, except with food when you learn how to soothe yourself in other ways guess what you don't need to do it with food so a, another benefit of a, exploring free association is exploring the the connection between past experiences and present triggers remember as we just talked about with ghost busting a lot of unresolved triggers uh, emotional uh unresolved emotions or 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 traumatic events from the past can impact your present, and you might realize in in journaling or in speaking that oh you you uh, you you you've, you're triggered by feelings of abandonment, and that might lead you to remember that time that you had an experience of abandonment or rejection earlier in your life, and you can see how there's a connection. So, as an example. Uh, Imagine Maya, not her real name. She was talking with me about her frustration with herself for binging, so turning on herself, um, after she was passed over for a promotion at work. And then her next thought was a childhood memory of being overlooked in, in favor of her younger sister during a family celebration. She recalled how inadequate she felt and how she would secretly eat cookies afterwards. Every time there was a family gathering, her sister, who you know played the piano, would be called upon to play the piano, and everyone would ooh and ah and oh my gosh, sister's so wonderful. And Maya just felt like an invisible troll and she would eat for comfort. So these are two totally separate seeming incidents being passed over for a promotion at work and remembering how her sister was the the you know, the apple of everyone's eye. What does that expression actually mean? How can you have an apple in your eye? Okay, someone please let me know the the origin to that. But if we look at it, so her sister was the center of attention and got all the glory. So if we look at them both though, it it's clear that when Maya didn't get the promotion, she felt as inadequate and rejected and not as special as she did as a child. Whoever got the promotion was like her sister who got the special treatment. And she felt terrible about herself. And of course, she turned to food as she had always done to cope and soothe herself. And of course, that, that temporarily soothes her and and kept the painful memories of her past out of her awareness. Because she's not thinking about... Oh yeah, this reminds me of my past when I uh, when my my sister was the golden child and I was just the the one on the side. But but it's really necessary to look at that. Right? You have to look at what are these wounds from the past? How do they show up in the present? Because when you heal them, then you will be free. And what did Maya have to do? She had to mourn, you know, go through a grieving process for how her life was living with this favored sister and heal from that. Whereas before she'd been like, I just know that's how it was. My parents did the best they could, you know, whatever, no, that it didn't heal. She had to heal by going through that whole mourning process, grieving what happened and what didn't happen. And then, when when she when she's healed, she's not going to be so vulnerable to ha- to being triggered, right? When you're healed, then someone you don't get the promotion. Oh well, not oh I didn't get that promotion. And it takes me back to a, a painful period of my past, and it's all too much. So that's why free association can be very helpful along with ghost busting to figure out what in the past is affecting your present. Okay, my next tip is this. Consider, are you actually a mind reader? Consider your psychic abilities. Mind reading, being psychic, involves making assumptions about what other people are thinking and feeling without any actual evidence. You think you know what's going on in their minds, which can create a sense of insecurity and anxiety, which can then trigger the urge to cope with food. So it's um it's 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 a very bad trigger and it's it's really common. For example, if someone believes other people are are judging them for their appearance or or what they're eating, you're gonna they're gonna binge to cope, possibly, temporarily escaping those painful thoughts and emotions. We often think we know what other people are thinking. You may be you may be thinking, I know I'm not psychic. I don't work for the psychic network. <laughs> this doesn't apply to me. But if you've ever thought Oh, I, I bet they're thinking this. Oh, I just know their reaction is going to be this. Or, yeah, I can tell that they're thinking this. I know they're thinking that. That's mind reading. And you are not psychic. When we, when we think we know what other people are thinking, the reality is we're, we're often imagining that they're thinking the same thoughts about us that we think about us. So if we are self-critical, we assume other people are criticizing us. This creates feelings of shame, guilt, low self-esteem, which is again relieved with food. And mind reading leads to so much anxiety, so much self-consciousness, so much isolation. If you believe people are judging you, you're going to feel terrible. You're going to self-soothe with food. And, and you might isolate. You know, after all, people, people can be unreliable, unavailable, and unpredictable. But food? Food is reliable, available, and predictable. You are never going to have a bite of vanilla ice cream and have it taste like broccoli. You're just not. You know what you're getting. There are no surprises. So to create change, it's important to become aware of when you're doing this mind reading. Pay attention to your own thoughts and assumptions that arise in your mind during social interactions or in interpreting other people's behaviors. I, I An example of this is I, I once in, in a group... Um, I I had super bad cramps and I was not, you know, wasn't feeling good. And I think I, I I winced, I sort of winced and turned in my chair. And one of the people in my group was, was, was like, I can tell you hate me. What, (laughs) what, what, what do you mean? She's like, well, the way that you, the way that you just winced and turned in your chair away from me, I know you hate me. So she, she had interpreted my wincing as as a, about her. And this, you know, to her credit, she said something and we could talk about it. And it was very enlightening because the whole group was able to say, oh, wow, I totally do that too. So we, whenever we make assumptions of what people are thinking or whenever we think we can tell what people are thinking about us, we may be very, very wrong. I remember... Uh, I was in China some years ago, um, a- a- adopting my young youngest daughter from China. And here I am, I'm this blonde woman and I'm wearing my Chinese baby, uh, in a sling. And this woman came up to me and we were out in the park. This woman came up to me. And she was so scary looking. She had one of those National Geographic faces, very lined. And she was about a thousand years old. She was wearing a Mao jacket. She was about four foot eight. And she terrified me. I'm five seven. But she terrified me with her look. And she looked at me. And she looked at my daughter. And she, what I thought was glared at, at us. And I thought, oh my gosh. She hates me. She thinks, "What? What is this blonde American person coming and taking a Chinese child from our country?" I just knew. I just knew she was thinking that. And then she looked at me. Oh, I'm going to cry. And she pounded her heart. And she gave me the thumbs up. And she started talking in in um, Mandarin. And someone nearby uh, translated and said that she was thanking me for giving this baby a good life. And that, you know, this is a lucky baby. We are the lucky ones. It makes me cry every time. But that was mind reading. I thought I knew what she was thinking. And boy, was I wrong. And we are usually very, very wrong. So when you can identify when you are mind reading, stop. Challenge whether the thoughts you believe other people are thinking are actually mirroring your own thoughts about yourself. If so, and this is where mind reading can be valuable, even though, you know, I don't want you to do it. But if you realize, oh no, I'm thinking they're judging me, but really I'm judging myself. Then you have more information and you could realize, okay, you're, you're judging. You are I'm judging myself. Let me examine these thoughts I have about myself. Then you can start to not only identify, not only examine them, but challenge them. Where do these negative thoughts you have about yourself come from? Can you challenge them? Is there a different way to think about it? Would you think these thoughts of anybody else? Remember, You learned this way of relating to yourself and others. You learned to be judgmental. You learned to be critical. You learned to cope with food. You learned all of this. You learned to think you should look a certain way. You learned to think you should feel a certain way. You can unlearn all of that and learn a new way that is healthy and and creates happiness and well-being. This is all learned. These thoughts, these feelings, these beliefs, they are learned. All right. And that brings us to the next tip, which is do not turn against yourself. We live in a culture that frowns, in a, uh, that frowns on emotions, especially anger if you're a woman or sadness if you're a guy women are told, it is not nice to be angry. That's not nice. Whether that is the overt communication or the covert one, basically girls get that message. Yeah. You shouldn't be mad. It's somehow not ladylike. And guys get the message of, you, you shouldn't be vulnerable. Boys don't cry. Don't have tender feelings. Don't be human. If you have to have a feeling, be angry. That's acceptable. If you're a boy, go ahead and be angry. If you're a girl, if you're sad, that's acceptable, but not anger, which is why a lot of women convert anger into sadness, and a lot of men convert sadness or anything vulnerable into anger. When anger or other feelings are not identified and processed, they are turned inward. So instead of expressing frustration, irritation, anger, rage at other people or situations, many people attack themselves for what they're eating or for what they they weigh. Now, I could never be mad at that person. I understand why they did the thing that they did that hurt me so much. I'm not mad at them. Oh no, no, no. No, I'm actually mad at myself because, oh my God, I can't stop eating. That's turning on yourself, right? So again, historically, a gender issue, expressing anger has been seen as unfeminine and socially unacceptable. So women pr- suppress their anger, but turn it against themselves. And then they feel guilty about feeling mad. So then they, they that could be displaced into guilt over food. When in the beginning, all that was going on is, you're upset, you're angry, you're frustrated. And that's just a reaction to a situation. It is not a character flaw. You are not an angry person. You are just not an angry person. You are a person who is angry for a reason. And that reason needs your attention, not your condemnation. Example, Brianne who had a particularly challenging day at work and she felt a growing sense of irritation and anger, she was pissed at her coworkers. (laughs) She was not happy. She was carrying too much of the load of the group. She was just not having it. But instead of addressing these emotions or finding a healthy way of expressing them, she turned to food. She started eating potato chips, and she just just she, she as she put it she just was shoving them in her mouth she couldn't eat them fast enough and as soon as she finished this big big giant bag of chips, she felt so guilty just like it was like a wave of guilt just washed over her and she was mad at herself she could not believe that she um she could not believe that she had given in and she was mad at herself for what she considered her weakness. So rather than expressing her frustration or acknowledging the source of her anger, which is her coworkers, she directed all of those feelings inward. She attacked herself for her eating choices when really she was mad at her coworkers. So instead of realizing, oh, they're on my last nerve, I'm so upset, this isn't fair, I'm pissed, it happens all the time, she ate chips and then she displaced her anger, she took her anger out on herself. Turning on the self is self-directed hostility that often belongs to other people or situations. And it can also, it can manifest in self-criticism, self-blame, self-harm, self-sabotage. These are the different ways that we turn against ourselves. Um, uh, By the way, another really common way that people turn against themselves is when they are constantly berating themselves for making a mistake, even a minor mistake. They they engage in negative self-talk, they call themselves names, they belittle themselves, and this just perpetuates the feelings of low self-worth. It contributes to binge eating as a way to cope. Sometimes binge eating is a way of getting away from your own mean voice. Well, so if you're not mean to yourself, guess what? You don't need to escape yourself when you when you can really sh- show up for yourself and be there for yourself and be kind to yourself. You don't need food to cope because now you're comforting yourself with words, not comfort food. All right, next is identifying your hidden motivations. And what do I mean by hidden motivations? Um, here are some examples symbolically filling a void if you're lonely, converting emotional pain to physical pain if you're, uh, if, if, if you're hurt, emotionally hurt, and uh, displacement, so filling a void means turning to food as a way of compensating for some emotional or psychological or situational emptiness. Um, consuming a a lot of food, it it fills it fills you up. It literally fills a a void. It gives you a sense of fullness which serves as a substitute for other unmet needs or desires. It fills the holes. But by identifying and filling those holes in your life that we talked about earlier, you you have a sense of fulfillment. Look at the words we use. And you stop using food to fill that emptiness. Uh, Another hidden reason is turning emotional pain to physical pain. It's easier to feel physical pain than it is to deal with emotional pain. So, if we turn s- s- heartaches into stomach aches, we temporarily escape what's hurting us on an emotional level. Um, and by the way, this is out of awareness, this is not conscious. No one's like, mm, I feel a void within because I'm lonely. So, Therefore, I will go and eat the kitchen. No, it's not conscious, it's hidden. these are these are all roots. Uh, displacement is another hidden motivation. So uh, imagine Alex who expressed intense self-loathing every time he binged. And he mentioned a, a, a recent argument with his wife. He said he felt stifled, he felt unheard. he, he was upset with her, but no, no, he was more angry with himself for binging than he was with her. Mm, Not actually true. His anger towards himself for binge eating, turning on the self, was actually a displacement of the anger and frustration he felt towards his wife, but couldn't express because he felt guilty being upset with his wife. So he was using food as an outlet for emotions he couldn't confront directly. But by recognizing this, this pattern, he was able to create change. He addressed his communication issues with his wife. Why did he why did he like have such a problem recognizing that he was upset with her has to do of course as all things do with his past. Ultimately he stopped binging. All right, I don't have much time left, so I am going to save the next two uh for another time. Um but briefly they are to to express your emotions and turn your inner critic into a friend and um that is it that is our show for today thank you so much for joining me on the binge cure with Dr. Nina i am here every thursday at noon pacific here here on voice america and if if you if you liked what i had to say today and you want to do a deeper dive into these topics, please check out my book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. It is available on Amazon in all formats, including Audible if you want me to read it to you. And I also have the accompanying book, The Binge Cure Journal, which will help you take the ideas in The Binge Cure and take action on them. So that's it for today. Again, stay curious, not critical, everyone, and I will see you next week. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel.